chick flicks, romantic comedies, rom-coms. You love them, you hate them, but we are here to eviscerate them. Welcome to the Rom-Com Killjoys podcast. I'm your host, Janelle Walker. Now, let's get on with some feminist joy killing. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, it's episode 13, and 13 uh, in many cultures is an unlucky number, but this is actually a very lucky episode. We are lucky to have my soul sister, my sister from another mister, Rachel. Rachel, would you introduce yourself to the people? Hello, I'm Rachel. I've known Janelle since we were both 12 years old in the same homeroom and obsessed with the same very cute boy, Ben Filer. <laughs> We should have known at that moment that one day we would spend uh, an hour recording a podcast about rom-coms. I feel like everything <laughs> in our lives has led up to this very moment, if I'm being honest with you. I, it bodes well. It really it really bodes well, I think. It truly does. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> and the, uh, the film that we're talking about this week was one that Rachel brought to my attention that I really hadn't considered as a rom-com, but the, the deeper I looked into it, um, it actually meets the requirements for a rom-com on many levels, not only just uh, formulaically, but also in terms of its themes. It is a film about a woman who is on uh, supposedly a journey to self-discovery, supposedly a journey to self-empowerment, and in the end she ends up with a guy of her dreams? Question mark? Scare quotes? We'll get into it. Uh, The film is I Feel Pretty, The Year of Our Lord 2018. Here is the Google summary. An ordinary woman who struggles with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy on a daily basis wakes from a fall believing she is suddenly the most beautiful and capable woman on the planet. With this newfound confidence, she is empowered to live her life fearlessly and flawlessly. But what will happen when she realizes her appearance never changed? Well, Rachel, that's what Google says this movie is about. But what would you say this movie is really about? I feel like this movie was really meant as a very saccharine sort of self-helpy pile of crap. So I mean, it, it really delivers itself under the guise of female empowerment and feminism, but the message that I ultimately got from it was, you can feel good about yourself and you can be confident, but people are still going to be grossed out by that because you are not what they think is the ultimate in attractiveness. And in the end, even though you have another potentially more, quote, attractive suitor, you are still going to wind up with the guy that is on your level. It it was just very heavy-handed and and not well done, I feel like. Yes, I think uh, that you pretty pretty much sum it up there, right there, with what it uh, tried to do versus what it actually does. And that's really the key tension with this movie. What would you say this film thinks the title of its self-help book is? Like, what is, what is its intention? What is it trying to inspire women to feel? Don't worry. Chubby girls can get ass, too. Just ass that's appropriate for them, honestly. It, it just, when you think about the fact, I mean, it was made by big Hollywood names, and so it's, it, for me, it almost serves as a reminder you know, you can be confident in yourself, but don't be too confident because you're really not that great. That, that's kind of what it, it, what it delivered for me. That's, that's how it came across. It was just very cringy, I suppose. 
I think um, what you're saying here about uh, the main figure's level of attractiveness or unattractiveness uh, really means we need to talk about this main figure. And that main figure is Amy Schumer, who is playing a character, but really she's playing herself. Let's talk about what I would say is Amy Schumer's star text. And when I say star text, what I'm talking about is not the work that she's done, but really the reputation and the image that she puts forward as a public personality. So Rachel, if you had to describe Amy Schumer, stand-up comedian, writer, actress, how would you describe her? In a word, irritating. I feel that in her quest to be kind of a feminist figure, she's very heavy-handed and extreme with it. I feel like it, it, her, much like the movie, her whole self or her whole image, it kind of gets lost. Her message gets lost in the fumbling heavy-handedness of her execution. Some of her jokes about females and, and, and body issues, things like that. You know, I understand what she's trying to do. She's just not doing it very well. In my notes, I wrote extensively about how this film is trying to set itself up as um, kind of a, a spiritual successor to both the movie Big, in which Tom Hanks wishes to be an adult, and also the film Shallow Hal, in which um, a very shallow guy played by Jack Black uh, begins to see people as they um, are in terms of their personality and their goodness, as opposed to their physical beauty. So he sees Gwyneth Paltrow, who is in, life, is in actuality morbidly obese, as Gwyneth Paltrow. But this movie is doing sort of the inverse of that, where Amy Schumer's character hits her head, makes a wish, and she believes herself to be beautiful. Now, what's difficult about that is that the film very slyly tries to play it both ways. It, one, tries to suggest that she's simply more confident, but also simultaneously suggests that, two, she actually believes she physically looks different. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are some very uncomfortable scenes where she's, you know, touching, like, certain parts of her body and somebody's looking at her and she's saying look at me oh my god and the other person is looking at her and going yeah and the way that she's interpreting it is yeah but in all reality you know the other person is highly uncomfortable because she sees herself this certain way and the other person is wondering what in the hell she's seeing exactly so what the film is telling us instead of telling us that what it thinks it's saying which is that confidence is great and it'll get you all the things that you want in life what it's actually telling us is, if you look like Amy Schumer, or worse, God forbid, whatever that means, you shouldn't have confidence because that's sad and funny and tragic. Well, and that's, and that's another thing that really struck me about this movie. It, it, it is encouraging women to be confident, but also discouraging at the same time. It's a very large juxtaposition in, in this movie. You know, because Amy Schumer, she participates in that, the wet t-shirt contest. And she's seeing herself as owning it and rocking the stage. And everybody else in the room is just shifting around uncomfortably, mm -hmm. looking at each other and asking, you know, classic, like, is this real life? Is this actually happening in front of me right now? And so it's very subversive, I feel like, towards uh, women and being confident. It, I feel like it, it simultaneously encourages it on the outside, but then undermines it subversively. Right. Like, it's very strange how the kind of arc of that scene in the wet t-shirt contest is that, as you say, people are uncomfortable, they're weirded out by her, like, 
confidence about her body, which, by the way, I wrote in my notes, like, actually, I would kind of kill to have Amy Schumer's abs. She actually looks, like, great. I thought it was, it's a very weird moment when, you know, you're looking at a screen and seeing someone who looks like you, you know, like a normal person, and seeing people treat them as if they're some sort of sideshow freak. As, as if they're repugnant. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that was another thing that struck me. You know, I, I first watched this movie with my mom and um, it gets to that, that part, the first part where she's wearing something, you know, fairly revealing. And we both looked at each other and we were like, well, shit, man, like she, she looks good. You know, I didn't even realize she looked that good. And then, so as a woman, you're watching this and you're going, oh man. So if that, if that is supposedly bad, if that's really terrible, then I don't even want to know what they would think about me. Yeah. Even the scenes where they try to suggest that, oh, but it's fine because all women struggle with insecurity. Those scenes with Emily Ratajkowski, who is a beautiful Victoria's Secret model type, you know, those scenes with her where she's talking about her breakup and how she gets insecure sometimes. And Amy Schumer's character makes jokes. Hot people have feelings, too. And the idea being like, all women are insecure. Uh, but but insecurity is not the issue, of course. What the film's more concerned with is... Um, how you're perceived and how much your sense of yourself lines up with how you're perceived by others. And if there's a big gap between those things, it's funny. That seems deeply unfair. I absolutely agree with you. What do you think is like the most detrimental part of this movie? What do you think was the most harmful point in this movie? I thought a lot about moments like with you and your mom where I felt myself and my own physical form being indicted. So the scene, the scenes I think where she stands in the mirror and she's looking at her body, there's two scenes. The first is before she bumps her head and she like takes off her clothes and we see her in her shapewear and her bra um, looking at herself and feeling disgusted. And then we see another scene where she's looking at herself in the mirror, uh, you know, her body not having changed at all, but she's looking at herself and feeling great. Whereas that scene is supposed or those scenes are supposed to make us feel like, oh, but see, if you were just confident, like you would feel so much better about your body. Instead, what it made me feel was, oh, wow. So I guess those moments where I feel cool about my body and how it looks, I'm being delusional. Exactly. And that's, and that's why I use the term subversive, because that's, it's truly everything about it is so just sneakily subversive towards women, you know? And, and you hit on something amazing with the Emily Ratajkowski, whatever her last name is, it sounds like a sneeze, um, with her hot people, you know, having feelings too, or even uh, Michelle Williams' character, the mm -hmm. beauty magnate woman, the one, you know, who's, oh, look, hot people can be nice too. It's just everything about it is so heavy-handed. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it just, it's also dumbs things down. I felt dumber after having watched this, quote, cinematic achievement. Yes, there are, it is just, it is kind of ironic that it's a film where the jokes are about someone having a huge gap between how they're perceived and how they think they're putting themselves out there versus how they are putting themselves out there when that's the problem with this film, where the film thinks it is doing one thing and it is absolutely doing nearly the opposite. Oh, I agree. It's a gigantic pat on the back to oneself. We did such a good thing. Look at us. We made those chubby girls feel good about themselves. Let's go have a martini and do it missionary in the dark now. Well, and one of the things that I found especially weird about it in terms of casting is that Amy Schumer, you know, as I was saying before, like her star text is that she's put herself out there as this figure that sometimes scholars calls the female grotesque, 
which is this person who is um, missing the mark in terms of uh, Western females' beauty standards, but is nonetheless asserting themselves in a hyper-feminine way. And that is really kind of the the persona that Amy Schumer has put herself out as, um, at least when this movie was being produced. Um, so you have her as this main figure who we're supposed to believe is like so sadly, you know, disappointing in her physical form for whatever reason. But then you have, you know, A.D. Bryant playing one of her dear friends who identifies as a fat person. Um, and they never address the fact that Amy Schumer's character talking about how like hideous and grotesque she is, like might make her friends feel. And I just kept thinking about like, well, A.D. Bryant's character is right there. And, you know, she's fat and she's dating and dating a really great guy who wears a great scarf. I mean, why aren't we talking about that contrast as a way to demonstrate how the way you carry yourself and the way you think about yourself makes a big difference? Did you notice that, so out of her two best friends, she's got A.D. Bryant and then Busy Phillips. Mm -hmm. Busy Phillips was the far more talkative, more upfront one. And I feel like Amy Schumer is kind of, you know, the balance in between those two. A.D. Bryant is the most quiet one. Did you notice, like, out of the three of them, Busy Phillips is the the one in the best shape, and then you've got Amy Schumer in the middle, and then you've got A.D. Bryant, and so I feel like as the biggest person in that trio, she is literally the least relevant. Mm. Like, they give her the least amount of personality. That's interesting. I hadn't noticed that. And I think that is another subversive message. You know, the bigger you are, the less you matter in the overall storyline. That leads me to a topic that I'm hoping we can get into, uh, which is... A little phrase I like to call empowerment feminism, also known as corporate feminism. Because something I noticed as I left this movie was, holy shit, this is a movie that tries to sell you self-confidence and loving yourself through a plot line rammed through a cosmetics company. Once again, it yeah, the whole movie contradicts itself. I feel like I feel like people when they watched it, yeah, they left with more questions than than they had, you know, when the movie began. Although I do, you know, now that I'm saying it, I do wonder, and especially because like you're someone who's, you know, um, skills at makeup is something like I really admire as this like art form and this way to like self fashion and to really like set your, you know, self apart. So I wonder, I mean, for you, how do you feel like the movie's message about makeup gels with your own sort of love of makeup and cosmetics and the artistry of it? Well, so before we really get into my feelings on the topic, I I do want to point out that um, one of Amy Schumer's character's main points in working for the makeup company when she speaks with the, you know, Lily LeClaire, is that they need to be making makeup for the, quote, everyday woman. But Amy Schumer, before, is the everyday woman. And so it's only, it, it once again, it subverts itself. Um, she's talking about, you know, making makeup for the everyday woman and making it accessible for everyone, but then she's not happy with herself until she thinks she's this super hot force to be reckoned with, you know, somebody above average. So as far as my feelings about makeup and the makeup industry and this movie using that as a vehicle uh, to deliver the plot, I feel like it was kind of not super effective. As somebody that does love makeup and loves putting it on, I mean, I do makeup for myself. You know, I definitely get compliments uh, whenever I, you know, make my eyes all dark and dramatic and 
it does it does feel nice to get positive feedback and you know I feel like I kind of set the tone for my day when I put on my makeup that helps me that routine helps me start off my day but first and foremost I do it for me and if there's a day where I don't want to wear makeup then that's all right you know less about this idea of like oh well I use makeup to empower myself it is I use makeup to express myself and as you said like set the tone for my day like make myself feel like myself I think the the film's invocation of power in that corporate context is really interesting and the fact that part of Amy Schumer's character's success is working her way up the corporate ladder it's sort of interesting how that sort of parallels her sudden newfound confidence. I wonder if it's implying that economic success is the same as personal revelations, I guess. I feel like part of that message it echoes the one of the main kind of hidden points in the movie, you know, feel good about yourself but know your place. Like, as a, a bigger person, like, feel confident, but then still know the level of man you're allowed to wind up with. Feel great about yourself, but also know that you still need to stay, you know, in the makeup area or in the kitchen or in some other vastly female field. Feel good about yourself within the confines of what we feel comfortable letting you feel good about yourself about. Yes, since we are on a rom-com podcast let's get into that romantic element of it and the two uh, men who end up sort of vying for Amy Schumer in this film um, they are both white guys very like you know one is pretty standard looking his name is Ethan he's kind of awkward he's great then there's Grant LeClaire who is very conventionally attractive dates Brazilian models and they both vie for Amy Schumer but as you say Rachel what happens of course. Well, we've got this one guy, you know, on one hand who's bearded, a little bit of dad bod going on, super solid individual. You know, for all intents and purposes, he's he's adequate. He's great. He's mediocre. And then on the other hand, you have this six-pack Nordic god-looking figure, my lord. You know, and yes, of course, they're both going after Amy Schumer. But then in the end, she winds up with the mediocre guy, the safe guy, because once again, you know, feel good about yourself, feel confident, yay, we let you get close to this super hot guy, but also you're going to wind up with the bearded dad bod guy, because that's what you rate, that's your level. I literally wrote in my notes in all caps, you can have both, you can have both, exclamation point, <laughs> in the scene where she turned down Grant LeClaire. <laughs> Because, and I actually thought about this later because I was like, wait, am I being too harsh? Like, were she and, and, um, and Ethan, were they exclusive? Like, was she just trying not to cheat? And then, of course, in the end, there's this whole thing about him, about Ethan being like, oh, you're my girlfriend, after her, she turns down Grant LeClaire. So they weren't even official. They weren't even monogamous. And she turned down this, yes, Greek god of a man. Why? Well, once again, be confident, but you can't go too far. They wouldn't actually, they wouldn't actually let her be with him because that would just, that would, that would be too much. It's too far past what they're comfortable, you know, deeming socially acceptable for people who are not the ideal. And why is that? I mean, what is it about showing relationships between people of, you know, varying levels of, uh, you know, cookie cutter attractiveness 
that people are so uncomfortable with, you think? I feel like it really, and this may say it may make me sound crazy, um, I feel like it goes back to control. If you keep the masses uncomfortable and, you know, make sure they know their place, then they're less likely to shake up the status quo. And, you know, for the land of Hollywood where everybody is a size two and teeny and perfect, you know, they're on the top and so they're going to want to stay there. And I feel like a lot of times Hollywood does not allow women, if they're not that ideal, they, they are not allowed to break out of that box. You know, they want to keep them there. Right, because I think your point about not um, disrupting sort of the power that people who are conventionally attractive have at the top is really key. That sort of destroys the whole power structure. Like, for example, Lily LeClaire, as you um, alluded to earlier, her insecurity, right, is that she has this high-pitched voice that means people don't take her seriously. But how much does that actually materially mess with her day-to-day life? Not so much. I mean, maybe we see small parts of it in the film. But in terms of relationships, I mean, if the film were to suggest that perhaps Amy Schumer was more desirable than Lily LeCare due to that, that would fuck the whole thing up for this attractiveness power structure. Because then it would suggest that, you know, all of the things that Lily LeClaire has, apart from, you know, know, the money, just the uh, attention and the acclaim and the adoration that Amy Schumer's character shows her in the beginning of the film, is meaningless. But, I mean, it, this movie, it was just, I feel, just a travesty all the way around. And it's so disappointing to see the whole self-help, self-confidence, that old trope just being redressed and reshoved out over and over again with no major change. There's um there's a line in this movie that I really like actually. It's the only line in this movie that I like. And it's when Busy Phillips confronts Amy Schumer towards the end of the film once Amy Schumer's come out of her strange um delusion coma, I guess. I don't even know what to think of the rules of the world with that. But Amy Schumer's explaining the whole situation to her friends. She's saying, you know, oh, I wish to be beautiful. And then I believed that I was. And then Busy Phillips says, your greatest wish was to be beautiful. That's so sad. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was that was an excellent line. And I and I I feel like that was a moment where this movie got very briefly for a brief shining moment. It got to what it was trying to say, which is that in the end, beauty is great, but it's not everything and I just I just wish that there were more moments in the film where that showed up I mean did you feel like that philosophy showed up elsewhere in the movie uh, you know there was one moment that I enjoyed when she's first applying to be the the receptionist and the current receptionist is just very snarky with her and Amy Schumer I mean of course she's just like a golden retriever at that point she's just happily oblivious and she's just excited to be there and um it just is very disconcerting to the receptionist and she just doesn't know how to handle it. And seeing that like very obviously bitchy person just distinctly uncomfortable, that that made me so happy. Mm. And I feel like that was a good moment in the movie. That is where I think the the movie didn't mean to make a point about the plot, but it did. You know, seeing somebody confident in their own skin does make those at the top uncomfortable. And that's where it, I don't think it meant to make that point, but... It did beautifully. Yeah, it, it, that reminds me too of the in the wet t-shirt scene. As much as it had so many problems to it, one of the things that was interesting about it is that they made a point of showing that about halfway through her performance, she won the crowd over. 
They didn't allow her to win the contest, of course, for the reasons you've already stated about her not being allowed to topple the actual hierarchy of beauty. But the crowd loved her and they were genuinely charmed and enchanted by her. And so was I. So I think you're right. Like those moments where her confidence genuinely does like win people over or surprise them or, you know, push them out of the way. Those are the rare moments where this movie really succeeds. And she was, I mean, let's face facts. She was hands down adorable in the wet t-shirt scene. Adorable. It was great. It was fabulous. Yeah, it was great. And I mean, yes, she's Amy Schumer. And so there are a couple of eye roll sort of moments there. But still, yeah, she was great. I mean, but once again, though, subversively, and I've used that word so many times, I apologize. That can be explained away, though, her winning over the crowd. Well, there's alcohol involved. So beer goggles. What did you think about um, Ethan, her sort of dad bod boyfriend? There was one moment with him that I really liked, which was when they were having sex for the first time. She comes out all confident. She wants to have the light on while they have sex because she's like, yeah, look at me. I look hot and amazing. And he keeps trying to turn the light off. And she's confused about why. She thinks it's about her. And then he explains, like, no, I'm actually worried that you don't want to look at me. And that that was an interesting moment to me, too, in which the film, again, like, gets so, so close to saying something interesting about, like, insecurity and men. I thought his, his character was um, probably one of the better executed characters on in the movie. Uh, definitely more well-developed. I just, to be honest with you, I was inclined to not love him from the get-go because, you know, I was saying in the back of my head, like, well, Rachel, you know, that's who she's going to wind up with, of course. So that kind of sullied me on him a little bit. But the character himself, um, definitely adorable and very sweet and solid, you know, just solid dude nothing amazingly extraordinary about him but uh yeah the self-consciousness thing that was that was nice that they pointed that out it's sort of hard isn't it how like we really want them to be able to show that you know someone unconventionally attractive and someone conventionally attractive can get together but then when we see you know unconventionally attractive amy schumer and unconventionally attractive ethan Uh, getting together it is sort of disappointing because it doesn't subvert the norm but it also feels like nice like it's not a bad thing they get together I don't know it's so hard how do you how do you upturn the apple cart without you know making people feel sad (laughs) I guess Uh, the age-old question how to upturn the apple cart without depressing everyone Well, I feel like I feel like you made an excellent point earlier. Uh, writing it in all all caps, she can have both. I mean, there really was nothing stopping her from doing that. And even if it were simply just a night of quote unbridled lust with the Greek god, what the hell is wrong with that? Why couldn't she? We have we have the technology. <laughs> <laughs> and what a great thing that would have been to have happen in the in the film, you know, for her to have that experience. Yes, and then, and then, even to drive the point home further, to get up the next morning, pat him on the head and say, all right, it was fun, see you around, and, like, sashay out the door, grabbing a piece of bacon off the breakfast tray as she went. My God, revolutionary. And yet, somehow, in the, even in the year 2018, that was apparently too much for this particular screenwriter. Too, too much. Two screenwriters. Two writers. One of them could not confront the other about what a stupid choice that was. 
You find Amy Schumer annoying. How do you think she feels when she goes home at night to her son and her husband, having made her career off of roles like this? Well, I imagine uh, as she hits the remote control to open up her 17-car garage and parks her Audi number two next to Audi number three and BMW number five and (laughs) has the maid take her coat at the door, I imagine she feels quite well about it. Corporate feminism strikes again. Oh, I'm sure she had that moment, you know, where she was talking to her agent and going, well, they really liked this. And she's saying to herself, oh, man, I'm going to have to be like that all the time. Well, all right. A big enough check will convince people to do anything. I think it just it makes me sad for her and for other actresses who have to, at least in the earlier parts of their careers, essentially like tear their self-esteem, you know, out from end to end for the whole world to see to make us laugh. Yeah, self-deprecation as a as your moneymaker. I think you can go one of two directions with it. You can either own the self-deprecation and just say, yeah, this is me, whatever, it's fine. Or you can own it and say, that's right, this is me, and I'm proud to be this way. I wonder how much she thinks about whether she's considering how the movies that she makes are are both about her and also about all of us, right? Because these jokes that she's making about herself in these movies, we get implicated in. Because that's how these movies work, as these ideological machines. You know, we watch them and we get taught how we're supposed to think about ourselves and others, despite it all. So it's not as specific as maybe she and others might think it is. As as self-aware as people in Hollywood are, you know, as aware you have to be of your body and, you know, all the physicalities, I feel like because that is so important and is such a priority, people are not as emotionally self-aware. A lot of the intricacies of all of that, I feel like the socio-emotional aspects get lost because, I mean, it's literally drilled into your head that if you do not have this body if you do not if you are not conventionally attractive then you have nothing until you become the vp of a cosmetics company and then you have everything again (laughs) all is well (laughs) this is about the time that we need to start to wrap up and do our thing it is the time in the show where before we wrap up and do our final ritual of this spooky, spooky 13th episode uh, to thank our, our Patreon uh, sponsors um, who continue to be amazing and awesome and support the show. Uh, they are Bob, Esther, Emily, Sean, Robert, and Tim. I can do that off the top of my head. Kia. Thank you so much for everything you do for the show, for me, for Eliza, for all of us here. Um, we literally couldn't do it without you. Thank you for supporting my sister from another mister. She is awesome, and so are you. Now is the time in the show where we offer up our antidotes, um, our recommendations to cure all that ails you after watching these um, painful, painful movies. Rachel, what is your antidote for I Feel Pretty? My antidote for I Feel Pretty is a book called Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. And it is a like a classic, great retelling of the Cinderella story. But so it centers around Ella and Ella was given a quote gift by a fairy when she was a baby. And the fairy gave her this gift of obedience. No matter what, Ella always has to do what people tell her. And so the, the book is this great, amazing journey of self-discovery, of 
her finding love and and I I don't want to spoil it and it's it's a young adult book but it's fabulous and great and really teaches the lesson of loving yourself and finding your inner confidence and breaking down barriers it's a fabulous book I highly recommend it my antidote for I feel pretty um, it's a two-hander actually with regards to uh, women who are not considered like conventionally attractive by Western beauty standards, marrying super hot guys. It made me think about an article in The Guardian from 2015 by the writer Lindy West, who's maybe best known now for uh, the TV show Shrill. She has an article in The Guardian that's called, My Wedding Was Perfect and I Was Fat as Hell the Whole Time. And it's a beautiful article where she reflects on meeting her husband and her insecurities about being a fat woman, uh, marrying a more conventionally attractive man, and having a badass time and looking, frankly, amazing. And her wedding photos are absolutely incredible and are worth looking at, even if you don't read the article. But my second recommendation, Antidote, is actually a play. Uh, might be our first play recommendation here on the podcast. It's a play called Bachelorette by uh, one of my favorite playwrights, Leslie Headland. And Bachelorette is a, a story about three friends who are attending the bachelorette party of their friend who is fat, who's getting married to a great, successful guy. And uh, she doesn't appear until the very, very end of the play. So the whole play is basically about her three bitchy friends talking shit about her. And the play, as it progresses, really demonstrates how... Um, culture gears us even as women amongst ourselves to tear each other down based on this horrible hierarchy of attractiveness that um, eats us alive from the inside. So just a little bit of light play Bachelorette by Leslie Headland. That's my recommendation. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rom-Com Killjoys podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rom-Com Killjoys. And if you'd like to support us further, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash romcomkilljoys to gain access to exclusive bonus content. Our theme song is Lady Slut Hitchhike Love by the band A Giant Dog. And the song you're listening to now is a cover of one of my favorites, Baby Love, by Colin Langanis. Remember, Killjoys, don't let anyone kill your joy. Not a rom-com, not me, not anyone. See you next time.